Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host Keith Perkelhammer. Everybody thanks for uh, for tuning in there Miles the Reefer. Title Gardens is in the house. We got uh, we got Than Thane here and and maybe possibly some folks uh, from Title Gardens watching on YouTube as well. We've got Scott McMillan, David L. St. Nova, 321 Reefer, Carlos 23. Hey everybody thanks for tuning in. So really it is my pleasure to welcome Than from Tidal Gardens to the show tonight. Than is the founder and owner of Tidal Gardens, a coral reef aquaculture business located in Copley, Ohio. Did I pronounce that right, uh, Than? Copley, yep. right? Okay. Yep. He has really created something very special and unique with Tidal Gardens. His videos are extremely educational and the videography is just outstanding. Really best in class in terms of YouTube videos for the hobby, I think. And he oh, is, um, yeah, oh, awesome. He is also an author and contributor to industry publications such as Saltwater Smarts, Reef to Rainforest, and Coral Magazine. Besides being a passionate entrepreneur, Dan is a licensed attorney, has a master's in business administration and juris doctor from the University of Akron, and a bachelor of science in biology from the University of Michigan. Dan, I could keep going on here about your press impressive dossier, but I'm going to let you do the talking in a few seconds. Anyway, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, thanks, everybody, for, uh, for tuning in. And, and I have a whole boatload of questions for Than here that, that I would like to ask. But uh, please feel uh, free to chime in on the chat with, with your questions. This will be a, uh, an interactive discussion back and forth. And... Um, Dan was also very gracious enough to, to shoot some, some video. He's, he's got a lot of um, uh, video that he uh, is going to share with us in terms of the new facility and, and take us through that. So really appreciative of that. And I think that'll just kind of launch us into a, a discussion in terms of, you know, what, what's going on in terms of the latest with the facility. I know, Dan, you've, you've been doing a lot of updates on YouTube about it. So probably uh, many folks are well aware of it and what's going on with it, but Maybe we could dig into it a little bit deeper. Sure. Now, um, I'm kind of curious. What? Um, how? How many years was this uh, new facility in the making? Well, how, how? How many years ago did you hatch this idea? It came together about two years ago, I'd say. Wow. Um, had a greenhouse facility for 2002, roughly. And we just learned a lot of lessons from, from having that greenhouse facility. And basically one day we decided to take the extra plunge and kind of build off of a lot of that learning experience and just a lot of the technological changes that have gone on since then. And pretty much went all in on this really, really big project. Well, I got to say, that's, that's pretty amazing to me that you were able to kind of conceive the idea and, and um, you know, see it come to fruition within a couple of years. I mean, in, in terms of the, the, um, the magnitude of the project and, and all the things, that you, all the hoops you probably had to jump through to, to get everything, you know, in place, it's pretty impressive. Mostly luck. <laughs> Mostly luck. So on, on a scale of one to 10, how satisfied... How satisfied are you of the facility, with the facility, how it turned out? Realistically, like high 90s, I'm okay. satisfied. All right. I like to harp on all like the, on that last, you know, 
five or six percent that I'm not that happy about. Okay. But when you really boil it down, I'm I'm insane. I'm I'm overjoyed. Like when I we first uh, like purchased this entire property with the intention of building that aquaculture greenhouse, um, I never thought that as a, as an overall property that this would be anything to this level. Like it, it has exceeded my wildest dreams, and it's going to get a lot better from this point forward. Even so, yeah, I'm. It, it's for me to actually complain about much. It's not a good, not a great look. <laughs> so it's it's been. So if you had to do anything, anything even a little bit differently, would you do anything differently at this point? Or you're pretty much... Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I've done a couple of things differently. Um, for, for example, uh, the electrical that's coming in, we had to, to trench our own uh, line all, all from, the, from the pole, from the street, hundreds of feet back to us, having a, a giant transformer installed, and then that powers a 400 amp three-phase service to the building, okay? Mm. Now, had I had a more competent electrician, we could have had triple the power Whoa. with that same amount of work. Whoa. Triple. And normally, it's like, well, 400 amp three-phase is a lot of power. You don't really need more than that. But had we done that, it would have opened up an entire world of of different implementations for other pieces of equipment later that we now are excluded from. For example, like Tesla Megapack batteries, right, require this upper level voltage three-phase thing that we could have had, but we don't. Stuff like that. But there, there's just a few major blind spots that I have when it comes to this sort of thing, and electrical is like one of them. Like, There's a lot of stuff that the electricians did wrong, for example, and I was just not able to see it. Whereas, like, if the plumbers are going to do something wrong, I'm going to be all over them. Right. But it's just little things like that, I would say. It's, you, you just can't be knowledgeable of everything that goes into a building. And the other thing is I was basically the general contractor. Mm. And that was not the in, in original intent at all. Like, I thought that the builder was the general contractor. And I learned, like, three months into it that he's not at all. He's like, oh, we need a, a plumber. Do you have one? I'm like, no, I thought that you were the guy. So that was like an additional full-time job that I had to like take on, not expecting to have to do any of that. So when I say well, that I got lucky, I, I got really lucky. Yeah, you were you were juggling there. Well, you know, in, in terms of the electricity, I guess look on the bright side, at least you're going to save maybe perhaps a little bit on your electricity bill, not having three times as much, uh, you know. Because I would have used it, that's for sure. I would have found it. <laughs> So how is the, um, the transition going from the greenhouse, the old greenhouse, to the new facility? Is, is that greenhouse going to be phased out, or is the plan to keep that thing up and running for the foreseeable future? Yeah, yeah the, the plan is to keep it up and running, because since this new building came into play, um, it's opened up uh, a lot more infrastructure. So we were able to revamp the electrical. We were able to revamp like the natural gas and like all those different things. And because of that, like the greenhouse, since we've built the new building, has gotten three times nicer, I would say. That's because we were able to do more. Because previously, when I built the greenhouse, the idea was we wouldn't need lighting because we had the sun and all this stuff. But uh, it turns out that you actually still need lighting. And 
we never anticipated like early in the earliest implementation of that greenhouse. I think I had a total of like nine devices plugged in. Nine. Nine. Wow. Right. Wow. Now there's like. Hundreds. hundreds. There's hundreds of things plugged into the greenhouse, and it's pulling probably a shade under 100 amps of power continuously now. So it was just never, yeah, just never conceived in that way. So now that we do have a lot of um, extra bandwidth as far as like pretty much everything goes, uh, the greenhouse has gotten substantially improved. And so most of the business that we still do now is out of the greenhouse. And, and the new building, the new building is just now, now starting to kick into high gear. So uh, we're welcoming a few more folks here, and, and apparently we've got a little bit of an echo going on here. Um, Dan, you are you um, are you muted on uh, YouTube? Is that um, I'm just I'm, I'm muted on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're yeah. So they're they're hearing a reverb. I wonder if it's uh, if it's because of. The fact that I'm not, that I'm not wearing headphones or not. Oh. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. I'm, like, I'm like looking around to see if I have headphones here. Well, let's, um, maybe we should press on unless, um, want me to give you a minute to try to find some headphones. Otherwise. Give me, give me yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it happens to be here, I'll, I'll, I'll try right. to plug them in. Thanks for your patience, folks. Do you, um, do you still hear the echoing now that Dan is gone? Uh, hang with us for a few more seconds. Dan is looking for some headphones. What's up, Greg? Saint Nova, welcome. Unfortunately, Unfortunately I don't have. All right. Well, uh, so what I'll try to do is I'll turn you down. Okay. And I'll just try to like listen really hard. <laughs> okay. If that works. Yeah. Why don't we um, Why don't we play the video? Um, Dan, I'm gonna I'm gonna start um, rolling the video on on the uh, live stream end here, and it'll probably take about 15 or 20 seconds for you to um, see it come up on YouTube, and and then once it does, you can kind of do a little uh, narrating. We could talk about it and um, take okay. some more questions. So I see it okay. now. Um, this is kind of like a little drone shot, just kind of like showing the whole property. We've assembled now two complete systems, and there's going to be a total of four systems in this building. Each one is going to be roughly 2,000 gallons, but sometimes I think that gallons is kind of like the wrong measure of these sort of things because not every gallon is useful gallons. So the greenhouse, for example, has like 5,000 gallons. But the new building, even though it has like roughly the same amount of gallons currently, it's much, much more productive. It's much more optimized. So by the time that the new building is completely finished, um, it will have something in the neighborhood of like nine to 10,000 gallons, but the productivity is going to be off the charts. So what you're seeing, um, at least what I'm taking a look at here, uh, these are all the different glass tanks. We've got a couple of larger show tanks involved also. So we have two show tanks that are about 600 gallons and another two smaller show tanks that are uh, 250 apiece. Uh, we've gone with a lot of pumps that are external to um, 
the tank itself. So we, I was trying to avoid power heads. Um, I got a couple of things in my head as to, as to why I wanted to do that, some of which uh, worked out, some of which didn't. But one definite bonus to not having power heads was just how easy and accessible everything is from outside of the tank. And so that's kind of like why you're seeing so much plumbing in the way of closed loops and everything like that. Uh, most of the closed loops are you are using Ecotech Vectra um, L2 pumps. But on one of our show tanks, since it only has, again, like maybe two, uh, two closed loops, uh, we went with a Biz A200s on that. So we spent the big bucks to, to get the water movement. So anyhow, long story short, that's where we are currently. The, one of our systems right now is just about to have corals in it. We're, we're like days away whereas the other one has been uh, growing corals for a few months now. So the, so the system that you see that's empty, it still currently is empty, but it is, I think it's just fully cycled, like literally right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think um, apparently the audio is now sounding better from what I understand from folks on the, uh, on the live stream. And, um, okay. okay. Well, I gotta, I gotta say, Than, in, in terms of the facility, it's just really, uh, just blows me away in terms of the thought that you put into it and all the different um, tanks. I think what we're um, seeing right here is, is all these um, aluminum stands, and I know you put out a couple of videos on those um, stands, and, and I guess you had two different um, sources for those stands. One, one source you yeah. kind of like had a whole puzzle that you had to put together the. Uh, yeah, I've got like a, a PhD in assembling stands now just because we had to put together so many of them. And they seem like they would be something that would be easy to put together, but it takes some learning curve to it because uh, when when we were doing it, like they have to be perfect because they are down to like a millimeter exact. It's not kind of like wood where there's a little bit of play. There's zero play. Um, so... A big problem that we were having was like none of the bags were labeled and we didn't know which screws or, or what to use at various parts and you just get a bag of like 980 something screws because there's 10 stands that, that we have to assemble. And so we were using the, the wrong screws in the wrong places and the counts weren't lining up and so yep, you have to take apart all the stands again and do it all over, stuff like that. So the second place, luckily, they... Um, they actually reached out because they saw my video where I was kind of complaining about that. And they said, hey, you know, we actually label our stuff. Do you want to give us a try? And so we did, and that's worked out nicely. So uh, real quick, this is uh, the heating system that you're seeing on camera now. So I, uh, back to me being lucky, I lucked into a great plumber. And he was able to design all of, uh, of our heating and cooling and he was one of these guys that like genuinely was curious and adventurous when it came to like exotic implementations. So pretty much anything that I dreamt up, he would be game to try. And I know a lot of people are like scared to kind of do that type of thing. But luckily he was, you know, really open to that type of project. And we just brainstormed all kinds of crazy things and, and went with it. Well... I got to say, it, um, it, it is pretty impressive, and I guess it's, uh, I mean, geez, how did, how did you get started in the hobby, 
fan in terms of, you know, how many years ago did you, uh, did you get started in this great hobby of ours? And, and geez, how did you progress to this point? So um, it, it was what, like, what, like over 30 something years ago, probably that I got into the hobby. And it was, it was one of those things where like, uh, you know, growing up, um, I wasn't allowed to have cats or dogs. I was, I was probably like six or seven years old. I don't know. And I wasn't allowed to have cats or dogs, but I was allowed to have fish. And, you know, going from goldfish to tropical fish, tropical fish to saltwater fish, saltwater fish eventually to coral. And that was right around the time that I was in college. And I decided to um, eventually go to business school. And uh, when you have a successful reef tank, and at the time, you know, like such, it was early days in the hobby. So, you know, what do you do with all these extra cuttings that you get from your tank? And so I did like a business plan to take a look at what would this look like if I actually made a coral farm and what would I need to do to make it successful. And that business plan was entered into different competitions and we ended up winning like over $30,000 in business plan competitions. And that really helped launch the business as far as that went. And, and so once, once you kind of like, you know, made that foray into the, uh, to the business part of the hobby, how did that kind of change things for you? Um, the thing is, it, it, it kind of didn't quite so much for me because I think that um, I was, I've always been just mesmerized by water. So I've never lost that, um, just that excitement for underwater things. Now, as far as like the business side, um, I was never one of the, the folks that um, was like slavishly um, focused on, on profit or anything like that. So I think I even approached my business very hobby-like. So you can probably tell, um, you can do this whole thing that I've shown you like uh, on, on video for a lot less than what I've done. Okay. It's kind of not the point. So people ask me like, well, what's, what's the payback period on such and such? It's like, I don't, I literally don't care. It's something that I really want and we're going to be going in that direction. Um, so for example, I have like the, the entire building collects rainwater and stores it underground. And then we purify that rainwater to make our RO system, that, that whole thing. Right. Um, I can pretty much tell you that the full cost of that is probably you're talking like Tesla money. And what is the payback period on collecting rainwater for making RO? I mean, there is none. It'll, it'll, it, there, you, you save nothing, right? But it, it's something that, that we wanted to do. We wanted to collect rainwater. We wanted to do all these different things. So we just kind of did it in that way. So a lot of um, the business side of things hasn't spoiled the enjoyment of the hobby for me. It's just kind of changed it into like a much, um, um, I guess like the, the scope of everything has changed, but my excitement for it hasn't. Well, that's, that's important. You don't want to like lose the excitement for it. Um, so let's, let's dig into a, a little deeper in terms of the new facility and new tanks. I mean, we saw, you know, I think the, um, a couple of display tanks, one was a peninsula tank and, and we saw some, um, you know, closed loop plumbing in, in that, um, Peninsula tank. What um, now? I, I just started a new um, 225 gallon peninsula tank that's uh, six foot long by three foot wide by 20 inches tall. Really excited about it. 
and uh, you know, one of the things I, I, I have uh, realized is that flow is a, um, is a challenge for a tank that long. But with your closed loops, you know, I noticed in the, one of the lagoon tanks that um, obviously would, uh, would solve that problem. Now, I've always been hesitant to do closed loops because I fear having the plumbing below the water, and that's another potential point of failure. But um, have you had pretty good luck with um, closed loops, and, and is that uh, not a concern of yours? Yes. <clears throat> so there's a couple of, of different things that I kind of got over. One of the things is exactly what you said about having plumbing at the bottom of the tank, and it could potentially be a leak and if there is a leak theoretically your entire tank could leak out through that right never gonna happen there are leaks right this second in my system from the bottom bulkheads okay it will take a month before the salt creep hits the floor that's how little the leaks are <laughs> I mean, it's just simply not going to empty your tank. You will die of old age first. So, it, and just feel free to go ahead and tighten that, fix it if you really, really need to. Other thing, it might just fix itself. I've had so many leaks like that that just dry up and fix themselves. So uh, I was in the same place mentally as you about, um, you know, worrying about that, those types of structural failures in practice, it's simply not a thing. It's not anything to worry about. You will spill more water over the side of the tank than coming through like a, a leak in a closed loop like that. So you were obviously not losing any sleep over those slow leaks at this point. Not really. Not really. We'll, no. fix, we'll fix it eventually, or, or or they'll fix themselves. But no, it's not. It's not on the on the mental map anymore. What um, now? The other thing I wanted to ask you about is the um, there's there's obviously been a lot of talk about um, negative space aquascapes. Bulk reef supply has has done you know a, a few videos about that. I know you guys you've done a uh, a video on that, and you know it, they're beautiful. I mean they are just gorgeous uh, aquascapes. But um, you know I'm I'm an old school reefer, and I've always started my reef tanks with uh, with live rock versus dry rock. And, and the one time that I did start my reef tank with dry rock, it was just, you know, one problem after another. I had dinos, I had um, diatom bloom, um, bacterial bloom. It was just, it was rough, you know, and, and it was yeah. just, yeah. I, and I was always able to grow acros really well. But uh, for some reason with this dry rock only tank, I had uh, a lot of problems. So I'm just kind of curious in terms of your experience starting you know, a system up with, with dry rock only, and, and what do you do to kind of combat the, uh, the lack of biodiversity? Do you use a lot of um, bacterial boosting products? So, so, uh, so a lot, lot, of, lot of questions in there. Let's see, okay. So as far as bacterial boosting products, no, not so much. Um, I'm sure that there's several great products on the market now, but I'm like, kind of on the old school end, I just throw some shrimp in there and wait like two months and it'll take care of itself. And I don't have to like kind of like overthink it. I saw that, um, that video from, I, I think it was bulk reef supplies thing from Macna of Dr. Tim. And he's explaining in, in excruciating detail about, um, the cycle and how, uh, each stage of it works. And if you wanted to maximize it, you can lower the temperature, you can lower the salinity, you can do all these things. And I'm just thinking like, or you could just throw a piece of cocktail shrimp in there and wait a couple months and it'll absolutely be done. 
And so I, I just took that approach with it. Now, now as far as the differences in rock, uh, yeah, there's going to be some really big differences. And I think that um, if I had the choice, I would probably go with some type of what used to be live rock, completely like sterilized it so that it doesn't have any kind of creepy crawly pests that I really don't want and start that way. But we went with Marco Rock uh, with large degree because of the cost of it. But there's definitely some big differences with Marco Rock versus versus live rock. I mean, it, there's like huge weight differences, there's composition differences. So to kind of, um, I guess, help with that, we found a lot of benefit in, in soaking the Marco Rock in RO for a pretty much an extended period of time, like up to a month. And a lot of like this chalky stuff does come out into the water. And when we've compared like the stuff that we've dipped versus the stuff that we didn't dip, there's a big difference. But either way, I think that you're going to run into the same sort of situation that you did with like the different types of things growing as that rock kind of just fuels it, right? So I don't know if there's like a perfect rock out there. Maybe it, maybe it is live rock, but I, from what I understand, it's, it's getting more and more and more difficult to acquire like real, real live, live rock. And in the quantities that I would need it in, it would be like a legit fortune. Yeah, I just picked up some, you know, I only picked up about 100 pounds of live rock from KP Aquatics. And the stuff was gorgeous. You know, it came in with tons of critters on it. it they shipped it to me in, in water. And that was an option. You could have okay. it shipped in, you know, in a box with a wet newspaper or a box with, with water. And, um, you know, I was fearful about the creepy crawlers coming in on it with the, uh, with the water. And there certainly were a lot, including a uh, mantis shrimp, which was uh, an mm -hmm. unwelcomed, uh, you know, um, uh, guest. But um, what I did and what they recommended is I, I dipped the rock several times in a very high sal um, 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 salt content water. So the, uh, the salinity was, I think, 1.035. And, and that flushed out the, uh, the bad guys without, you know, killing off the uh, beneficial bacteria. So that... That definitely did work. I mean, I had a ton of pistol shrimp that came out of that thing. Although I think I'm, I'm downstairs with my, with my tanks right now, and I every now and then I do hear a cracking sound. So I think I think one of those pistol shrimp made it through that uh, that uh, whole process. But um, yeah, so it's um, you know it's 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 been great. I mean, I cycled my tank within a week, and mm -hmm. and um, you know so it's it's been a different experience for me with, with live rock versus dry walk, but you know, it's, it's really a, uh, it's what you have to work with. And like you said, for you, that's, it's not going to be feasible. Live rock is just not, um, very readily available anymore. Like it used to be many years ago. So you got to kind of play the hand that you're dealt in terms of the dry rock and, and, um, you know, deal with it. But it's, uh, it's an interesting trend. I mean, do you, do you foresee the, uh, the whole NSA thing becoming more and more popular and more people trying to, uh, Design so like that, that whole trend, I, I happen to like it a lot. Um, it was funny because because BRS and I pretty much like on top of each other did it at the same time completely independently. And we kind of did two completely different techniques. So the, the way that we did it was for, based on um, this Korean video that I saw where this guy was just using sand and, and liquid super glue and the super glue would fix uh, the sand in between the rocks as fast as you could spray it in there practically. And I was like, you know, we can just 
we can just try this method. And when we did it, it was like, it was like this miracle. It's like this, this light bulb went off in our heads. Like, I can't believe this is working as well as it is. This is so incredibly easy. We're never going to go back to stacking rock again. And yeah, I, I think that the, the, the cool thing about the whole, um, uh, kind of like these custom crafted aquascapes is you can really start to pay attention to how little rock you really need to make a structure and to make a strong structure. So you can make like really, really thin, um, sinewy, skeletal looking rock structures where you're anticipating the coral to make up most of the mass of this thing when once it grows out. And you're not like married to these like really thick, dense, megalith blocks of like Marco rock anymore. I mean, the whole thing could be, you know, like open on the inside, that sort of thing. And that's kind of what attracted me to it because you're talking about having issues with providing flow, especially as things grow in. A lot of that can be designed to, to not be as big of a problem coming um, right from like day one with how you've built your rock to, to allow maximum water movement through it, even when stuff starts to grow in. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, I, I kind of say to some folks that, uh, you know, that, that ask, you know, is, is it, um, well, I guess my point would be, I, in the past, have not spent a lot of time on aquascapes because I'm, I'm just kind of banking on the fact that um, my, uh, my SPS will grow in and, and block the aquascape, so it's not going to be that important. But, you know, I, I certainly can see the advantage of being able to construct these very um, open aquascapes which allow the flow to go in and out of the corals and it's just down the line that will be um, more beneficial versus something where you are just kind of stacking rocks so it's a um, it's a great uh, it's a great um, tool to have do you, do you um, foresee somebody trying to uh, capitalize on this uh, trend and and uh, I mean I, I think there are folks out there that are already trying to you know um, put these things together and manufacture them and, and sell them for quite a lot of money. <laughs> from what uh, I'm I think somebody should. should. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was thinking that, that it would, it's, it's actually a good thing for, for the local stores, stores to do. Now, now I think because of, you know, like the, the situation that we're all in, it's like retail is kind of getting hit by that a little bit. So there's that less local stuff going on, but this type of project, I think it's great for, the local fish stores to, to provide their customers because um, when a lot when people are shopping for rock even they want to buy like the biggest you know out of the box piece that they can right it's like the, the, the bigger pieces are the attractive pieces but when you're talking about making these custom rock pieces the little pieces are actually what makes the best building block and so they could basically take the the least desirable rocks that they have in their possession that they would never in a million years move, turn it into a high-end aquascape and sell it at a premium. It's like, this is a layup, guys, you know? If you, and if you have the time, make these custom aquascapes, offer it up, and then, you know, somebody's going to like it. So let me ask you some general questions, uh, Than, about your systems. I noticed that um, in the new facility, it was pretty much all um, bare bottom. I don't know if I don't know if I've seen you have uh, sand in, in some of the systems in the um, in the greenhouse or not. But what are your thoughts in terms of? Obviously, you're a, you're an aquaculture facility, and um, I guess sand yeah. is not um, get a okay. Okay. part of that equation. But what are your thoughts? Sand versus bare bottom. 
Yeah. It's, it's funny you mention that. So uh, that is a point of active debate amongst me and my staff. And so when it comes to like the actual growing systems, we definitely go with bare bottom for the maintenance aspects of it. So the real debate is whether we want to have sand in the show tanks and stuff like that. And there is a philosophical debate internally as to how much maintenance that really is. Because I've always had substrate in my tanks, right? I like the look of substrate. It's totally not a big deal for me. But the practical thing for me that I always have to consider is that I do have to think about my staff. They are often the people that are tasked to work on some of these tanks. And if they are dreading it, that's not really helping anybody out, right? So there's a, there's a good chance that some of our show tanks will have substrate. However, there's definitely a couple of guys kicking and screaming at the idea of substrate. I personally like substrate a lot. So if you were recommending uh, sand versus bare bottom to a um, person coming into the hobby or a person that was considering reconfiguring their system, you would say go with sand? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I've always gone with sand myself. And, um, you know, I don't really do any maintenance on, the, on my sand beds. In the past, I've basically had some, you know, I've got sea cucumbers. I've got some uh, Nessaria snails in there. And um, I let the cleanup crew do the work. But uh, I do have to admit, I, I am a kind of a lazy reefer when it comes to maintaining a beautiful sand bed. So there's, uh, there's typically a lot of debris in my sand beds in terms of shells from, uh, you know, dead hermit crabs or snails and pieces of coral here and there. So it's, uh, it's usually not a pretty thing, but I do like to keep a lot of different wrasses, especially leopard wrasses. So that's, that's why I'm usually a fan of um, sand beds. But my new tank build, I'm not going with sand, I'm going bare bottom because I'm just going to blast the crap out of it for uh for the sps yeah, yeah. I, think I think if you if you're going to be going with like a heavy sps system that might kind of preclude you from having at least the finer sand it might be kind of like more rubbly but yeah i mean i think it, it's a lot of personal preference there uh but again it's like i don't even think it's that big of a deal to, to have to siphon your tank every now and again i think it's almost kind of a therapeutic activity it's relaxing and it's kind of rewarding once you're done. Yeah, Greg Carroll is chiming in. I don't think I would ever go with sand again on an SPS tank. LPS and softy, I would still do sand. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm gonna. Uh, this is gonna be a first time experience for me without a uh, with a sand bed. But um, you know, I um, I'm game to try something different here. Um, what's uh, Saint Nova? I'm sorry, I have to. Uh, it's got white sand. I have an old fishing rod stick that I used to stir in my sand bed with once a day. I guess you could take an old fishing rod and stir your sand bed to, uh, to keep it clean. Whatever works, yeah, right? Yeah, it works. So, Than, uh, what, uh, what about uh, filtration, biological, you know, mechanical, and, and chemical? What do you guys um, use at uh, Tidal Gardens in terms of that stuff? I would, I would say the lion's share of that is being done with protein skimming and water changes. Uh, where we kind of diverge from a lot of different facilities is that we don't do uh, much in the way of like micron filters or anything like that. We don't do um, filter floss rollers. We don't do filter socks, like none of that. One of, the, one of the things that we do have is a gigantic sump. It, well, it's 500 gallons. I guess it's, it depends on what your, what your 
expectation for gigantic is. But one thing that a 500 gallon sump does do for you is that it will gently collect stuff at the bottom, at which point you can remove it at your leisure. Uh, and the, the, the tanks themselves being bare bottom, you can find like the one or two piles of whatever, siphon those out. So when it came to detritus removal, that was fairly easy for us just to, just to do it that way. Um, and we didn't have to then worry about you know, constantly um, laundering dirty filter socks and, and things of that sort. And we have, I guess, a somewhat undersized skimmer. Because once you get over a thousand gallons in size, there's not that many skimmers that are really sized for that. But we have a skimmer that could probably uh, be rated for 1,000 gallons, perhaps. And it seems to do the job just fine. We have a, a relatively low fish load, but a lot of corals. So it kind of works itself out, I, I would say. Um, as far as like a biological filter media, um, we've been using, um, what are those things called? Like those ceramic type bio bricks. Yeah. And I don't, know, I don't know if they, they work or not, but we have been using them. What about chemical? Do you guys use activated carbon on your system? We don't use activated carbon. However, uh, I am interested in trying ozone. We've, I've never tried it before. Uh, and we use a small amount of GFO on a couple of systems that we're having like chronically high phosphate. But generally speaking, we don't actively run um, chemical filtration just for the sake of running it. So and definitely no bio balls, like or bio, bio, bio balls, the, the, the carbon, carbon stuff, biomedia. Bio uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't do carbon dosing. We don't do any ultra-low nutrient methodology at all. So for nutrient export, you're pretty much relying on the protein skimming. You're not doing a uh, – there's no uh, refugium or um, algae scrubber or reactor? Correct. 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 No, 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 no algae filtration. filtration. So, you know, the, the, the whole refugium thing for me um, – I'm kind of on the fence because I like the idea of refugiums. And if I had like a home aquarium, I would probably be a lot more open to it. But for us on a, on a commercial scale, I find that if you have like an isolated tank with no predator thing going on, no herbivore thing going on, it becomes like this breeding ground for absolutely everything that's wrong and awful in the tank. Like any and all pests are going to persist in the refugium completely um, unfettered. So I guess like in, in, in trying to keep our tanks cleaner, the, the refugium doesn't help. And there's other ways to kind of get the benefits of the refugium without making it a safe haven for all like the nudie bronx and flatworms and whatever the heck else. So we have a question, um, Than from St. Nova. And I'm curious about this too. What do, you, what do you guys keep your key parameters at? So like nitrates, phosphates, and we'll get into, um, you know, calcium, alkalinity, magnesium. Sure. sure. So it, it kind of depends on which systems that we're talking about, because going from comparing the systems in the greenhouse to the systems in the new building, it's like a tale of like two completely different worlds. So the, the systems that are out in the greenhouse have been actively running constantly now for over 12 years. Okay. There's all kinds of goofy stuff that has happened in those tanks in that time. And 
until recently, I would say that the, the nitrates in those systems were up around 70 parts per million. The phosphate was something in the neighborhood of two parts per million, not 0.2, not 0.0, it's two parts per million. But the thing is, they don't look dirty. There's no problem algaes, really. There's like there's nothing wrong. Um, and the corals, presumably, are fine. Um, whereas, like in the new systems in the in the new building, uh, there's like undetectable phosphates and nitrates. And in a perfect world, I would like to keep those a little bit higher. I would much rather see like ten parts per million nitrate, and like 0.05 or even 0.1 phosphate rather than zeros across the board because at that point i, I kind of worry about uh, starving the corals and we do actively feed the corals but i think that if you're doing like the ultra ultra low nutrient stuff you have to like go much heavier on the feeding than what we're doing so what are you, what are you guys so, doing to um to boost the nitrate and phosphate levels or or are you trying to do something else uh in terms of the protein skimming to try to get those levels uh, up a little bit um, mainly, I think that we're trying to slowly add more fish and just feed more and uh, up the number of times that we do feedings because we actually take the time to turn off the pumps now and spot feed the corals three times a week, that sort of thing. So it's just a matter of just introducing more food as well, how we would probably be approaching that. Um, but it's been a couple months and it's basically very low, low nutrient at this point. Um, as far as like calcium, alkalinity, and magnesium, we're basically trying to match up something similar to natural seawater there. So um, 425-ish calcium is the target. Eight or nine DKH is great. 1350 magnesium, we'll go with that. The, the parameter that fluctuates the most for us by far is alkalinity. And we've seen everything. We've seen it dip all the way down to like two like a DKH of two Whoa, before. Really? Yeah. I, I haven't and, seen. Do you guys? Believe it or not, things are fine. Do you guys have a lot of SPS in the new system? Uh, yeah. I mean, not not a huge amount right now, but we do have. We have. We've got one of the three hundred gallon tanks, and that's the primary like SPS grouping right now. Um, do you have any uh, like an? Do you have an alkalinity monitor and, and controller on that um, new system or? We. Well, kind of. Um, <clears throat> so the, the new system hasn't had that dip, but like the, the old systems, it, it, that's kind of more born of neglect than anything, I would say, where like the calcium reactor had long since run out of CO2 or something like that, that sort of thing. Uh, but also like rampant growth of like uh, certain SPS just sucked everything out of the water. And that, that's kind of like where that, that whole situation happened. These days, we know we do have calcium reactors on every system. We do water changes more regularly. Um, we're shipping out a lot more corals. Thank you, customers, for that. So we're doing like the micro water changes even, you know, 30 gallons a day of, of just like per system of just, you know, sending corals out, which is great. Um, but uh, even then, we still have to supplement certain systems. And so we're doing like dosing for that. Just some, what is that, the, the soda ash type BRS stuff. Yep, yep, yep. All right, now let's talk about lighting. And um, I, uh, I saw some pretty, pretty cool spotlight LEDs, but I also saw a ton of Ecotech 
Radeon Gen 5s, I believe, right? Talk, uh, talk, fours. Fours. Talk, yeah. talk to us about so, lighting on, on, the, uh, on the old and the new facility. So I think in my heart of hearts, I really like T5s. Um, these days, I think that, that if you have a remotely okay lighting fixture, it can grow coral just fine. It's going to color up everything just fine. It's going to look very nice. So like uh, my recommendation for lighting, it's like, it's, it's harder to go wrong with lighting than it is just to, to find something that, that'll work very well for you. And, um, on, on my channel, I talk about these hundred dollar lights, light fixtures, like some T5 fixtures from Amazon. And you put some, some ATIs in there and it's going to grow coral just fine. So, I happen to like T5 a lot um, because because of how much media I make. Uh, T5 is vastly superior for camera work. It just is. Uh, LEDs are getting better. It's not on T5's level. T5 is like fantastic. So I, T5 always has like a soft spot, spot in my heart. However, we are transitioning more and more and more to LED because the new building can't have T5s. It's a well-insulated building, meaning all the heat that I generate in that building, I will have to find a way to remove. So when you're talking about potentially 300 radions, um, the amount of cooling that you would have to do is extreme. So to, to then substitute all of those lights with hotter t5s it's not happening it's going to be an absolute oven in there so that's kind of the, the thought behind um transitioning more towards uh the led side of things and i have to say like uh we we have a we have a mix now of mostly radions but we're trying out some orphic lights and yeah it turns out that they all work they're all pretty good what about a combination, like a hybrid combination of uh, LEDs and T5s? Have, have you guys run that, and are, would, would that be a possible um, consideration in the future? Uh, for us, probably not. Um, however, I think that for like a home aquarium, go for it. I mean, that's, that's like a, a great compromise, right? And even if you, I mean, different people have different aesthetics. There's like a couple of guys uh, that, that work here, and they are all about like, the blue light, you know, they want everything to be blue. Yeah, all I can't blue handle. All the I can't handle blue light. That's just not me. But yeah, yeah me either. I like daylight. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I actually like the daylight spectrum. But let's say that you are like the blue guy, and you just simply can't handle the look of daylight. Well, you could just set your T fives to be on during the day when you're not home and you're at work or something, and your corals can appreciate that. And then when you come home, you can view it under your all blue. So, so yeah, I think that um, that that hybrid fixture compromise would work really nicely. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. And um, three, two, one reefer brings up um, a question about pH, and and it's sort of a general question, but I'm going to make it a more specific question. I had um, Adam from Battle, Battle Corals on here a few weeks ago and, and he talked about pH and how when he had a, um, an air exchange unit installed in his, um, you know, a facility with his, um, frag tanks that he just saw a real major benefit to the growth of his acros. And I wanted to kind of get your take on that. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys have a, have a pretty good, um, ventilation system set up in the new place and probably even in the greenhouse. But, uh, 
What, what's your opinion in terms of the impact of pH? And, and I'm talking about a higher pH on the, uh, the growth and health of corals. I'm kind of spoiled in that I've never lived in a world where I had pH issues. My pH is rock solid at 8.4, and it's been that way forever. Um, so as far as like the benefit of higher pH, I think it's like it's purely theoretical for me just because based on some of the stuff that I've read. But I've never been in a situation where I had to struggle with like uh, pHs in the sevens because of a basement system that was in a, in a very closed house or anything like that. Uh, the greenhouse is in essence an open building. I mean, it, it gets a lot of fresh air. And in the, in the summertime, it is a wind tunnel. The new building, um, we have four of those air exchangers in there, four commercial units. So at any given time, if we really felt like cranking it up, we could get a thousand CFM of fresh air all the time, 24 seven in that building. And so the, um, the pH of those systems is again, rock solid 8.4 and never really deviates. Yeah. I, um, I have my tanks here in a finished basement and, um, I'm running two part on, on my, my main system right now. And you know, pH is not an issue in the winter time. It definitely uh, will drop a little bit because it gets cold here in Vermont and, and everything is airtight. So uh, I, I do see that impact in the, uh, in the winter time. But um, yeah, when I was running a, a calcium reactor, it, um, it definitely was a struggle. You know, I tried running an airline tubing from the, uh, the skimmer intake, the air intake outside, and, and that didn't really work. So, um, but I've also run, um, you know, Kalkwasser in conjunction with a, um, a calcium reactor to try to get that pH to, to, to be, uh, to, you know, to boost that pH up. And also I've had um, success with the dual chamber calcium reactor. So with the new system, I'm going to be doing all of the above. Plus, um, I'm going to be getting one of those air exchange units installed in this house to, uh, to try to pump in some fresh air. Those air, those air exchange units, units are really, really impressive. And they, and they run on, they, on, they run on, on no electricity, electricity practically, and they're and fairly, fairly quiet. quiet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like it's it's, a, it's such a simple device. simple device. In, in, essence, it's, in, in essence, it's just really just two fans, and it just and works. it just works. Yeah, uh, AF says our display tank in our shop was struggling with pH at seven point nine. Seven point nine corals were struggling a lot. Had to add the Kalkwasser reactor to combat it until our CO two scrubber gets uh, delivered. So. And, and three, two, one reefer. I use caulkwasser and a CO two scrubber, and the, the scrubber really didn't do too much. So yeah, I mean it, it's an issue with with people using the uh, calcium reactors in in houses that can be a bit airtight. Um, so Dan, let's do a let's do a time check. We've got about um, seven minutes uh, before the uh, eight o'clock hour. I want to be cognizant of your time, folks. If um, if you have any more questions, please um, put them in the chat. And we could uh, get Than to um, to answer those questions. But um, Than, you um, you mentioned T fives in photography and and how that's uh, so advantageous in terms of shooting. I wanted to kind of ask you some questions about your uh, your cinematography and, and the videography that you guys put out there. What um, is was that another you know hobby of yours that just kind of morphed into this? Um, uh, thing with Tidal Gardens, or were you a, uh, a big photographer before this reef keeping hobby started? No, it's a hobby. That it's a hobby that I picked up from the from the, from the business. So, uh, obviously, so uh, obviously, um, there's a big benefit to being able to take 
higher quality photos as it relates to selling corals. Um, but I think that where the video stuff came in, uh, it, it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's a fun uh, pastime in, in itself. And I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of um, that, that just that YouTube cinematography. And it turns out that I like high-end photography and videography gear. Like, again, going back to the whole, like, um, uh, how has business affected things? And it's there's no reasonable payback period for the amount of money that I've spent on cinema gear. Like, people rent this stuff to make their movies. They don't buy these things. But I want to own them <laughs> just so that I would have them around. I like them, you know, that sort of thing. And now, and now actually, um, now that I've hired uh, one of our our college interns full time now and she's basically like the media person so like so she gets to the, the treat of working with the super high-end equipment i can and for me it's great because it's like the the novelty is kind of worn off but i can say hey go get me these shots and then she can just go and take care of all of it so it's wonderful i love it well i think your the macro photography and videography is just spectacular and and um yeah Kind of left my jaw hanging a lot when I've um, you know seen some of your videos and I don't know if if you can give folks out there tips in terms of um, shooting great videos or or, or or shooting or snapping great um, pictures of their reef tanks on a limited budget. What kind of advice would you give them? On a limited, on a limited budget. <clears throat> so I would say the okay. I guess it depends on what 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 limited budgets really and, are. And is there a certain uh, so, camera that you would recommend? That's three, two, one referrals. Actually, no, no. I, I'll, there is a correct answer to this. I just, I just need to like uh, the it is it's your the camera for you is already in your possession. It's your phone. Uh, the phones that that we have now are they going to be as good as like a dedicated camera? Probably not. But their capabilities are so high now that it's probably orders of magnitude more than your skill level. So if you just learn shooting with your phone and get to the point skill-wise where you can pinpoint this is where this device is failing me, now you will know what you need to get in the next piece of equipment, next actual camera, next actual lenses to take better photography. But until you can pinpoint and give me like solid reasons as to why that iPhone 12 is not going to work for you, you're fine. You have the gear. <laughs> and, and I think that, uh, that people, even with, um, when they get into like higher end equipment, they get into this idea that I can't do this because I don't have the right equipment. It's like, no, you're just unwilling to get it all out and, and hit the record button. Um, and I think that sometimes that people find that, that paralysis in learning photography. It's like, no, actually your phones are stupendously capable devices. So shoot with what you have and you'll, you'll, you're going to run into some obstacles and, and just search for ways to get around those with still the stuff that you have and you'll go, and you'll go really far. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think, um, there are some real basic things that you can do in terms of, photography and videography that will go a long way and um, I've definitely learned some tricks over the years in terms of shooting my reef tank 
and and um, you know I think one thing that I um, you know I think if you if you have uh, if you could step up to a um, to a, you know a higher budget to purchase a new camera or some equipment and get a mirrorless camera or a DSLR I think there are some basic um, things that you can do to take better shots you know I've always um, you know I've learned that a tripod is certainly key in terms of yeah. getting, yes. getting steady shots and. And, and I also think once you get the um, the hang of the white balance adjustment, which is a, um, I guess, a thing that you can't, um, I guess most phones you can't adjust the white balance on a phone. Or I, I guess what you can do is you put a filter on on a phone, right? No, there's no, apps. There's, there's apps that allow you to do all of that. Yeah, I'm telling you the phones. Telling you the phones. They're good. <laughs> I did not know that. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to look up one of those apps because uh, it's great to kind of run and gun with the phone to uh, to shoot some video or some photos of a tank. Versus breaking out all the gear. So, um, yeah. all right, then before we go, I got a couple of rapid fire questions for you that I'm curious about. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna fire away at you here. All right, you ready? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not sure you're gonna have a, a, a good answer for this because you don't sound like a fish guy. But what what is your favorite fish? Favorite fish. Fox face. Fox face. No, no, no. No, no, no. Copper band butterfly. Mm. Copper band. Copper band. Favorite SPS coral? Mm. Mm. It's lame. It's lame, but it's probably a Walt Disney Acropora. Good choice. Good choice. Favorite LPS coral? Favorite LPS, Favorite LPS right, now, right now, it is an Amazeballs Ganiopora. Hmm. I have to look that up. <laughs> What's going on with the, uh, the the giant increase in pricing with the uh, with the meat corals? The uh, Acanthopolis is. It's, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing uh, that correctly. Uh, Acanthophilia. Acanthophilia. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So partly, I partly think, I think it is just uh, uh, it's the hot coral right now. That's part of it. I think the there's this underlying, like almost like this deep state knowledge that they might actually be illegal right now and that they uh like as far as like the, the collection places they are not allowed to collect this stuff anymore they are however allowed to sell what they previously had in inventory and so that is what you're seeing in the market presumably is this backlog of stuff that they had but I think, and it's kind of like the Wild West out there. It may not be legal. And I think that might also be kind of like upping the price, even on the collector end of things. And that's being transferred up the chain to us as, as retailers, and retailers and, wholesalers. and wholesalers and customers. Well, I feel fortunate because I have one of those in my 187-gallon uh, uh, show tank. And um, I feel like I'm sitting on a pot of gold. You kind of are. Kind of are. Yeah, because okay. one day, if, 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 if it ever gets like strongly enforced or whatever, I, I don't know what the political climate might be. But yeah, the, the flow of that coral might be completely shut off from the industry like overnight. Like, oh, and it's like, oh, okay, then. Okay, then. That's, that's, that's what we're doing. Okay. All right, my last rapid fire question for you. That that last one was not so rapid fire because we got into a bit of a discussion. But um, and this one's yeah. probably a silly Sorry. question. But do you have a dream tank, or is it already in existence? I don't think I do. I don't think I do. Uh, maybe if maybe I if I if we could ever do a like a true filter feeding non photosynthetic tank like filled with dendronethia. 
or sclerinephthia, that type of thing. That would probably be it. Cool. All right, Stan. Well, uh, any any final thoughts tonight? Uh, not, uh, not from my end. Like, if uh, are there any like any questions from the gallery? Anything that chat wants to know? You know, I think we've been kind of um, hitting them as they're been coming through here. We had we had some um, recommendations on some cameras, a Sony A six thousand. I actually have a Sony a Sony A seven three. I used to be a Canon guy, but um, uh, I had the Canon. Um, 5D Mark III, but I went to the Sony. You're a Canon guy, right? Uh, currently, uh, currently, yes. Yep. Yes. So you have an A. So you have an A7 III. The um, the only thing I don't like about the A7 III is the um, the LE the uh, the LCD screen does not flip around. So you okay. so you okay. cannot. Um, it's not vlogging vlogger friendly. Right. The right. Uh, the other thing is you cannot do 120 frames per second in 4K like you could with the um, the Panasonic camera. Okay. Okay. GH5 yeah. or something. Yeah. Now we're now viewers okay. we're really getting into the weeds now on in terms of uh, videography, but uh, those would be the two things. It's time to get. The it's time to get the A7S3. That's the camera for you. The A7S3. And there's also an A7 IV that just came out. There's an A7 IV now? Yes, wow. and I think that solves all the problems I just talked about. So gotcha. Um, gotcha. It was, uh, I believe the body alone was 3500 bucks, which um, makes it tough for me because I just picked up uh, the A7 III two years ago. But I don't know. I guess I could probably get a good trade-in value right now. for the But, you, here's, but you, here's, here's the thing, though. You're pinpointing exactly, exactly what, what that camera can't good. do. That's, That's good. good. So now it's time to upgrade. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I'm, I'm kind of falling into your, uh, your little uh, thing there. Than in terms of the uh, going all in on, on the videography and photography equipment, so it's fun. No, it, it really is. That I I'm into that as well. So it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna be different for me because with my new tank, it's gonna be LEDs, and I've never had LEDs before. I've, I'm a metal halide tried and true guy. I've I've got um, 400 watt 20k radiums over all my tanks right now, and they they really grow corals great. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't had any issues with heat in my tanks because I, you know, it's a finished basement and it, and it stays pretty cool in the summertime and it, and it, um, you so know, why you so why are you switching? It's, um, I am switching because I want to try LEDs. I want to see if I can, you know, have the same success with, uh, metal halides with, with, with LEDs. And, um, you know, I think in terms of the electricity, I'm not sure I'm going to save a lot of money with LEDs. I'm going to be using six Mitra, um, you know, GHL fixtures over the uh, over mm. the tank. So I'm going to have six of those fixtures. I know I could get a lot better spread if I went with metal halides. Probably I could probably just get away with three metal halide lamps. I believe, although it is a 36 wide, 36 inch wide tank. So um, yeah. I um, I decided to go with the, with LEDs on this in this tank and and give that a go, but I'm I'm pretty excited about it. But I think in terms of being able to to shoot it in, with the you know with, with the camera, it's going to be a lot different than what I'm used to with the metal halides. That's just the the, the, the big thing that you'll that at least that I've noticed <clears throat> shooting with the LEDs is that the colors are oddly baked in. So since you're a photography guy, it's like it's like shooting in RAW versus shooting in JPEG. Where like the JPEG, it's like it looks looks okay, but if you wanted to make some subtle changes, it's like a lot of it is baked in, 
And if there's something that you wanted to do kind of like gently or subtly, there just isn't that, that, uh, that wiggle room for that. And that's how I feel when I'm shooting with LED. It's like, just a, it's a very harsh baked in, uh, light source. So, I, but I, like I said, though, the LED systems are getting better. It's just not quite there. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll, um, it'll be interesting, but, uh, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm, I'm definitely psyched for the, uh, for the change and, and, uh, but I'm still holding on to my metal halides. I guess I maybe I have this fear in five years there's not going to be any metal halide bulbs left out there. So I'm going to have to uh, think about an alternative plan anyway. But uh, who knows, right? You, have, have you guys have no metal halides going on your uh, tanks? No. I, no. I, I, um, I used to be a metal halide guy too, but it was a very long time ago. Um, I used to run like, like those yellow ones, like the 6500K Iwasaki's. I did the, what, the 10K Ushios, and my most recent one was the 20,000 Kelvin um, radiums, but uh, yeah, we never really stuck with that here, and partly because at the greenhouse, we were just out of electricity, like the, we just didn't have the, the power to run um, all the lights and then have one couple fixtures that were, were metal halides on top of all that, so we had to get a little bit more efficient. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I always liked metal halides a lot. I think um, you really like the, the corals. Obviously, love the metal halides. It just it just became a thing, became where, a thing where, I, I possibly it's a lot of it. It just comes down to like marketing because, like you said, it doesn't exactly save you electricity um, compared to uh, some of like the top end fixtures. I mean, uh, like a Gen Five Radeon Pro is what two hundred and 40 watts or something like that. Yeah, I believe the Mitras are around 250 at, at their highest output. So yeah, when you when you yeah, take that's six, a metal that's a metal halide ball. Yeah, right. So, and you take six of those, then I'm not going to be seeing a, seeing a lot of savings on my um, electricity bills. But certainly in terms of the light bulbs themselves, that'll help. Yes. 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 Yeah. But I, I imagine that's also an issue with you with the uh, with the T5s too, right? You guys probably have some pretty good uh, you know T5. You know what? I've never I've never replaced them. Really? I, they're, they're dark. They're gross, they're gross looking, <laughs> and I just never replaced them. They're they're probably five years old. Really? And the corals just uh, have not really. You haven't seen any. Uh, I'm, sure I'm sure it's not as good as good if you, uh, if you uh, as if you replace them every year or so but no some of my some of my t5 bulbs are every bit of like four years old and the fixtures are basically dying and we're just swapping out the entire fixture for an led fixture do you um do you actively measure par in your uh, tanks or do you just kind of um we, 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 we do. One of, one, one of our guys is like very particular about that. For years, I didn't really care quite so much. I had a PAR meter, and we didn't use it a lot. But now, um, one of our guys, he, uh, he's very fastidious about measuring PAR. I, I think I, we have a lot of these little fun internal debates. And sometimes it's just like, I think you're, this guy's just overthinking it. <laughs> but um, we, we try to shoot for something right around 200 par for a lot of stuff now. And in the SPS systems, we're trying to like shoot a little bit above 300. That's kind of like the going rate, I'd say. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds about right. So you, you just mentioned your staff. Do you want to talk about your staff at all? I'm sure it has grown a little bit over the years, huh? It's grown a little, it's bit, grown a little bit like now. now. Um, so... 
I've had one guy that's worked with me forever, seemingly. Um, he's Ben. And so, like, if there's ever, like, a, like a second-in-command guy, like the right-hand guy, it's him. And earlier uh, this year, we added um, another guy that, that had worked for me on and off named Luke. And he's, he's a great person to have because he is also, he's the guy that is, um, he almost strives for the impossible. And he is convinced that, that certain things are, are possible. And just from experience, I know that they're not. But I'm not going to dissuade him from trying. So I'm always supportive in his efforts for to achieve a level of perfection that I think is impossible. And so he's always a good person to have for that. And occasionally I do think that he's overthinking stuff. But it's great to have that voice constantly there. It's like he'll say, you know, like we can completely eliminate like a certain type of pest. I'm like, I have so much more faith that that pest will survive than your ability to remove it. But we can certainly try <laughs> that sort of thing, right? And just thing after thing is like that. Uh, we added Becca. She was an undergraduate intern uh, that did media. And she just worked out amazingly because she could just do everything. Like her, like her skill set just from d design to photography to videography to being like on-camera talent to she's a, like a certified drone pilot like she could do everything and and me as like a creator i'm like so scatterbrained that i need all this stuff done and i could just throw all of this work at her and then she would just either know how to do it or figure out how to do it it's like it's like the perfect thing so hired her full-time after she graduated we just added uh another person that does like oral husbandry and in a couple of weeks, I'm um, hiring one more person to do that so that it kind of frees the rest of us up to do a little bit more of on the businessy end while still having a lot of that um, a lot of that baseline coral farming activities going. And they're they're real strong students. They're just like coral junkies. I mean they I mean they, they've got a personal collection that's just like jaw dropping. It's like they've got a great eye for it and they're they're practically like, uh, coral whisper artists, you know, and I'm like, of course, come on over here. I got, I got a lot of stuff for you to take care of. Uh, St. Nova's, uh, comments. I love Becca. Yeah. She's been, uh, she's really good. She's, she's been an increasing presence on your YouTube and Instagram, uh, accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Than one, uh, one last question I'm going to throw your way and then we'll, uh, we'll sign off. If you had to make a, um, a recommendation to somebody out there that's in the hobby. Let's, let's say it's a mixed reef tank. What would be like the top three things they should be? Um, what are the, the three most important things to success for keeping a reef? What would, what would you have to say? Okay, so number one, very obviously, is stability. Um, stability trumps just about everything. Like don't go chasing numbers or anything like that. Like if you can just keep your numbers steady, that's like 90% of the battle right there. You will be successful if you can just do that. Um, I would say <clears throat> the next thing would be to do everything in your power to make the maintenance easier. So if you can design your system in a way that's just inherently less work, and the work that you have to do is easy, easier to do, um, it's more likely to actually get done. So I would say a more simple and easier to access system um, 
don't do anything crazy, like have like a 36 inch deep tank. That's not going to go well for you unless you're like Kareem, you know, that has like some eight foot long arm. Uh, so those two things. And I think that the third thing um, might just be as far as like livestocking choices. I think that people uh, can kind of get, get caught up in the whole Instagram culture of like what other people have in their tank and think that's kind of what they need also. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you really like a soft coral tank. And that's what you should have. Like, you're the one that's going to be looking at this tank every day. It's not the internet's tank. So, like, get what you actually like. One of my customers has basically an unlimited budget. And he likes what I think are ugly corals, you know, just like trash paleothoas, that type of thing. And it's like, go for it. You know, that is your tank. You know, you, you spent God knows how much on that thing, but he is happy with his livestock selection and that's how it should be, right? It's his tank. Yeah, the um, the screenshot behind us on the live stream is a, a screenshot from my old 225 gallon tank. And you know what? I dig very colorful, basic corals in that tank. And you could see a lot of bird's nest corals. You could see a lot of styrofoam uh, corals, so yeah. um, greens and pinks. And um, yeah, they're not the um, the big ticket items that generate a lot of the buzz and and what have you. But it's um, it's really it's a very good point. I think you should really stock your tank with the things that make you happy because you're the one that's looking at it all the time and and uh you shouldn't be totally wrapped up with what everybody is um you know the, the latest buzz on social media about the hot corals so i think that's that's a very very um astute point well with that uh fan i think we're gonna uh we're gonna wrap it up we've kind of gone past the uh the, uh, the, the, the time here. And I, again, I want to thank you so much for, for being a guest. I had a lot of fun talking with you. I Thanks think, for having yeah, me. Yeah. I think the viewers, um, were definitely into it and asked some great questions and had some great comments. So just want to remind everybody that my next, uh, live stream will be next Thursday, December 10th at 7 PM. I'm going to have Dimitri Tumanoff on. He's, He's a great uh, reef keeper. He's he's tuned into the show a number of times, and he's got the touch with SPS. So we'll we'll have a little discussion on that show. But um, Ben, stay safe, and um, love to have you on again uh, at some point down the line to to talk.